Hey everybody, you'll be listening to this episode after night one of the Democratic debate, so we're going to wait until next week to do any recap or share our thoughts on how that went. Frankly, there isn't very much happening in the race right now, and I feel like spending too much time talking about the horse race just makes us like a lot of other political commentators, talking about things that totally don't matter because there's nothing else going on. There's plenty of other interesting things to talk about, so we're not going to try to pull engaging political news out of thin air. Jake and I have had a lot of conversations the past couple days about how more than one thing can be true at the same time. We try to view things through a binary lens. People are black or they're white, they're gay or they're straight, Democrats or Republicans, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. But really, so much of life falls in the gray area. More than one thing can be true at the same time. We think the simplification of people and circumstances to either this or that really gets in the way of seeing things for what they really are that it gets in the way of building bridges, and it gets in the way of constructive conversations that can lead to real solutions to real problems. I'm Michael. I'm Jake. And this is Very Public Breakdown. So, I don't know if any of you saw this, and and I don't want to give a lot of, um, I don't want to give a lot of, pay a lot of attention to this story because I think it's kind of a stupid story. But Joe Biden said something stupid this week, um, and it had to do with a a segregationist senator that he served with back in the 70s. Um, There was some sort of controversy he said at a fundraiser, which are normally closed press. I'm not really sure how this got out. I think it was a fundraiser. In any case, he made some comment um, about uh, the the segregationist senator, I think in the 70s, calling him son, not boy. Boy, obviously, not, maybe not obviously, but being a pejorative term historically having sort of deep, deeply hurtful uh, implications for particularly black men. A lot of uh, his, a lot of his opponents pounced on this, which, you know, at this point when there's 24, 25 candidates in the race, everybody's sort of looking for an opportunity to sort of score a, score a hit, right? Like an opportunity to get on stage. Uh, particularly Cory Booker being the only African-American man in the race, um, sort of pointed out like this, this, this was a deeply uh, painful thing to say sort of in the historical context and context is important. And I think that's, that's really key, but sort of one of the things that I think maybe we should explore is just this idea that like more than one thing can be true, right? Like Joe Biden said something this week that was, uh, it was, insensitive and it was uh it showed in a way that he was out of touch on a particular issue um that he didn't know sort of the nuance of how something was uh could be perceived as offensive to certain communities and that that can be true but also like it is also true and i think we should also be really real and say that like Joe Biden is not a racist. I'm here to say Joe Biden's not a racist. I've dealt with racism in my life and I know it when I see it and i think we really do ourselves a disservice when we um, you know, there is real racism in this country. There is real sexism in this country. There is real homophobia in this country. Uh, there is real, you know, go down the list. Like, we have real fundamental problems, and there are people who do harbor hate. Joe Biden is not one of them, and I think, like, we have to figure out how to sort of have that conversation of both things can be true, where we say, like, that was insensitive, um, that was out of touch, um, but also, like, thrown around the racist word, we, we don't do ourselves any service there because then it just desensitizes us to the people who really are racist. Um, and then we don't move the ball forward for anybody. So you were, you, the other night when we were lit, Katie, well, Katie and I were lit, you were making, you made a joke about how like, 
I'm gonna frame myself as like the woke bitch in, you know, uh, I will be the gold champion woke Olympics, or go- I'll be the gold medalist in the woke Olympics, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and you were like, you cannot portray me as like the country bumpkin who likes to hunt and fish and like do nature and whatever. And obviously that's not true. Um, but again, to like. Well, it is true. Yeah, <laughs> that's the thing, right? Like, it is true. Well, but, okay, like, but. There's a certain. But both things can be true, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so like, talk to us about sort of how you got interested, you know, like. Again, you you are you, you, whatever. Like you're not a you're not a country bumpkin, and if you are, that's fine too. Because I think we're both country bumpkins. We're okay. from the same exact place. <laughs> yeah, true. And only one of us can drive a tractor, and that's me. So, um, anyways, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, how did you sort of you know we, we to give context? We both grew up like two miles from each other in the same town of 12,000 people in, in Minnesota. Um, how did you, you know, and you didn't, my family has a farm, yours doesn't. Um, so, like, how did you get into hunting and fishing and sort of, like, what, and I, you got into it later in life, what what brought you to that? Yeah, well, I think one of the things I pride myself on, and I think we, as, as sort of involved citizens, as just interesting people, we should always be pushing ourselves to find out more about ourselves and to find out things that we don't know about. Um, and I guess in the hunting and then fishing aspect of that, um, basically just got into it because of my friends. Uh, I had, you know, a, a number of friends throughout college who that was a big part of their life. It was a big part of who they identified as. And I definitely had some preconceived notions about, you know, what a hunter is in Minnesota and in the country. And, um, they really helped to shape that in a different and new way. And I was able to find a lot of value, um, in, in what that could be. Uh, so it was a long evolution. I mean, over probably the last eight, nine, ten years, has, have I got into it more? And it's only been, it's been really incremental, yeah. I guess. Um, yeah. What's your favorite part of it? Like, you know, like, do you like being out in nature? Do you like, um, do you sort of like the food aspect? Like being able to sort of hunt your yeah, own food? Yeah. Like, what what is it? I mean, the biggest, yeah, the biggest thing that I enjoy is just being outside. and And being outside with no agenda and that may sound weird because you think if you're going out to hunt um, or fish, you you want to be successful. But anybody who's done it knows that nine times out of ten or more, you're not going to be successful. And you can't control so and much of it. Too. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's totally it's nature, and isn't that life, right? Yep. So, but just like learning a new appreciation for something that maybe I wouldn't have paid attention to before, mm-hmm. um, whether that's you know just the changing of the seasons, um, you know what animals are doing out. Out, out in the woods when we're not there. What you doing, uh, dear? And you can just kind of hang out and watch. I right. mean, just finding that appreciation and, and really it becomes meditative. It becomes reflective. Um, there's a whole lot of value that you can get where, and it's it's an amazing challenge. Um, and I feel like we don't really push ourselves enough these days when when life is really good. We right. just we push ourselves in certain things like our careers um, and. <laughs> Not a whole lot else. Yes, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, like, no. I mean, maybe that's just me, but I feel no, like I think that's everyone. I feel like uh, finding new challenges is a really important thing right. for us all. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Speaking of challenges, and this, we are we are embarking on a challenge now. That's really cool, though. Like, um, what I what I find really interesting is like the the nature aspect because I, I grew up hunting. Also, like I remember, I don't know how I will old I was, eleven, twelve. Uh, my uncle taking my cousin and I uh, out out back of the house and uh, and our farm 
and uh, our family's farm and uh, being like, okay, you're going to shoot guns today. And just like being like, okay, well, I guess now I'm old enough that I'm going to shoot some guns. And, and I was a good shot. Uh, goodish. No, I wasn't. I, that's This is the myth of the story that I've been trying to tell. I wasn't a very good shot. I didn't like the sound of guns. I don't really like nature. I mean, like, I don't like going outside, but like, it's, it's really cool to see, like, uh, we, we, so for, on background, Jake and I, <laughs> I rode with him on a work trip yesterday because I don't have anything going on and, uh, other than the show. And, um, we, we got into this conversation about like conservation and whatever. And a, a really interesting thing from a political standpoint is, you know, I think conservation and I, I, frankly, I don't know where a lot of hunters and fishers and sort of outdoors people um, where they stand politically, but it's really interesting because we Jake was had me listen to one of his favorite podcasts. What was the name of it? Uh, Cal's Weekly Review. Oh, it's yeah, a, it's a new one. If, if you haven't <laughs> listened to, yeah. listen to Cal's Weekly Review because it is fucking funny. Yeah, and like actually really good. Like this is a guy from what Montana yep. who just knows a ton of shit about a ton of shit. Um, Super deadpan delivery, like uh, you know, really great really great accent that I can't quite pinpoint. Uh, just just a really interesting guy. Um, and interestingly enough, like we got into this conversation about how so often, like I think sort of uh, outdoor activities get sort of put in this like rural uh, Republican bucket, right? And, and I think Democrats do a pretty bad job of reaching out to people for whom, um, you know, that's a big part of their life. And one of the most... Uh, what I think is kind of a missed opportunity is, is connecting the things that Democrats on a whole care about, which is the environment, and mm-hmm. realizing that, you know, people who care about or, or who, you know, enjoy hunting, fishing, being outdoors, whatever it looks like, um, those people are mega environmentalists. You know, it may yeah. manifest in a little bit different way than, than people who, uh, you know, are members of PETA. But, like, I think at the end of the day, like, our... The goals are sort of the same. So I think Democrats are missing an opportunity to speak to people for whom, um, you know, there's a these people are voting, I think, voting Republican so often because there's a vacuum and Democrats aren't filling that space. Um, It doesn't have to be this sort of morally superior, protect the environment, um, uh, you know, fish have feelings sort mm -hmm. of thing. But it, it can be like we do have common there's, there's more commonality and both things can be true. You can both hunt and fish and, you know, be be um, a sports person. And you can also, um, I think the Democratic Party should be making the argument that you can do that and you can also vote Democrat. Um, I just, I think that's something that I learned in my sort of education here with this hunting and outdoors and um, aspect of my life now is that Democrats refer to themselves as environmentalists. And Republicans refer to themselves as conservationists, uh-huh. and and that sort of that's the same thing. It's really the but, same and yet thing. They're, just... they're different, and you talked about moral superiority. Like I think both groups think that they have that. Right. Um, something that I really learned in that episode of Cal's Weekly Review that we, uh, he mentioned something about the duck stamp. You go buy a federal oh, yeah. duck stamp yeah. because of all the the conservation funds that go right. towards wildlife habitat and whatnot. And that's something that I really my eyes have been open to. Um, there's a some legislation called the Pittman-Robertson Act and the Dingle-Johnson Act that were, I think, done in the 60s. 
Um, and they're basically an excess. Dingle and Johnson, that probably being Lyndon Johnson and, and John Dingle. Yeah. John Dingle, who just passed away. You tell me. His <laughs> wife, currently Debbie Dingle, a congresswoman from the suburbs of Michigan, including Detroit. Go on. Sure, sure. I'm guessing. Yeah. I'll have to, we'll have to yeah, do some I research. I think that's right. That. But uh, basically, the premise is that I think it's a 13% excise tax that's done at the manufacturing level. So the consumer is basically unaware of it. Uh, and that manufacturing tax, of what? Well, like at the, it's. I think that's the right way to characterize it. But basically, you're not seeing it at the till, at the register. Okay, I mean, it's like it's, built it's in. like built into yeah, the yeah. price of sure. the product. Okay, and there that tax is done on all uh, outdoor recreation or sporting equipment. Okay, so guns, ammo, um, archery equipment, anything that can help you get out and hunt and fish. Okay, and and. The I think Dingle Johnson is the fishing aspect, and Pittman Robertson is the hunting aspect. They're, okay. they're two separate taxes, but they function the same. I, I believe all of that money is earmarked for conservation in the United States. Okay. And that money is like largely responsible for our wildlife as it functions today. Oh, okay. Like oh yeah, I think it was ninety eight percent of that of the money from the from duck that. stamp goes to like actual conservation. Um, you know, it's actually getting put to use. It's not going to administrative fees. It's yep. not going to, you know, overhead or whatever. It's like actually doing good and sort of doing the work that I think both Democrats and Republicans uh, support. So interestingly enough, uh, Cal, what's his last name? Ryan Callahan is the guy's name. No, no, uh, Ryan Callahan. That's yeah, that's, the podcast? that's Cal's Weekly Review. Oh, yeah, Cal's yeah. Weekly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Cal's Weekly Review, he says like, you know, you don't have to be a hunter or a, a fisher person. <laughs> yep. I don't even know how to say that. But you don't have you don't have to engage in these activities uh, to buy a duck stamp. You know, you, you, a duck stamp is something that you buy if you are going to be duck hunting. But you know, like I can go out and buy a duck stamp. So, like, tell our people, uh, tell the people listening, if you do care about conservation, if you do care about environmentalism, like, where can you go buy a duck buy a duck stamp? Where can you go and purchase this thing so that ninety eight percent of uh, of the proceeds of what you're spending goes towards actually uh, doing good for the environment yeah. and wildlife. So we happen to be Minnesota residents, and you can go online to the Minnesota DNR website and buy your licenses there or, or stamps. And and in addition to the duck stamp, I mean this this same principle holds true for fishing licenses, uh, hunting licenses. There are other stamps. I mean, yeah, if you don't want to go use them, that's fine. If you sure. don't want to go participate in that activity, but you know, it's a really, really solid way to direct funds towards conservation and, and habitat. Um, so yeah, Minnesota DNR, every state in the, in the United States has a similar website. Uh, oddly enough, places like Super America and, and local convenience stores sell licenses and stamps. Okay. Um, big box stores, your Cabela's, yeah. your Walmarts. There's a lot. I mean, they're all over the place because people need them. Like sure. if they roll into a town for the weekend and they you don't have to pick it up. they need to react, be accessible. I remember uh, growing up, my dad used to manage holiday gas stations and so I would always get my deer, uh, my deer permit yeah, or whatever tag, from, yeah. yeah, deer tag from, and my duck license and whatever. Uh, I don't think I ever killed a duck, but I did. <laughs> uh, but uh, we would, I, would, I would always get my license at a holiday gas station, so it's really that easy. Um, and interestingly enough, here's one, I just want to get this one little jab in and this is more for I, I don't know. I don't know who this is for, but it's true. Uh, on the back of my driver's license, it says firearm uh, endorsement, uh, and you know, Jake's yours obviously does too because you you actually hunt. Um, but that just means that we are licensed to uh, to shoot guns. 
And the interesting thing is, uh, and I, I actually think that, you know, we'll probably get into this in a different episode, but uh, I think we it's fair to say that both of us and most uh, gun owners, not I don't own a gun, but most people who, you know, do shoot guns um, are also in favor of uh, gun safety legislation in some way. So um, definitely just that. Yep. Just, just I, I definitely agree. And, and that's a, you know that designation that you have on your license um that's like a that's like the most basic regulation that we could have that just all gun owners right. have that right that's not the case you know you were responsible and you decided to go get your education but when you were a kid right when i was 12 i did that a lot later in life i did that like 2 years ago also i i mean i like i'm 30 now and i'm not sure that like I would trust thirty-year-old me with a gun, but you know, like it, it, it's important. I guess it's important to start it early, and it. it but yeah, but to but, get the education, yeah, to, know, I mean, to go like, through the process to like know how to how to safely handle a gun, and like I I did that, we did that, and I think that should be the bare minimum. Exactly yeah. what you said. That should be the bare minimum of what you have to do to have a firearm, and you know, we're not going to stop every. Uh, certainly not every accident. Um, a member of someone who hunts in my family's. Um, hunting party was killed by a totally just you know freak accident uh years ago um i think when i was in college just totally tragic heartbreaking story um and that has you know that has nothing to do with gun safety or mental health or anything like that you know sometimes horrible things happen and i don't know how we stop those things from happening but i think that you know responsible gun owners um certainly more than this this sort of the current narrative lets leads people to believe responsible gun owners also uh, they want the, the people who are going to be out there uh, hunting with them alongside of them they I think they want them to be um, able to responsibly handle a gun so yeah. I think there's more um, the the argument against or for gun safety legislation gets simplified a lot and I think we probably have a lot more in common than we're led to believe. So, I mean, as can we... I, can I ask a, a little more about what happened with that story? Yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't there, um, and I don't really know how much of this is my story to tell, but, um, you know, someone who I had hunted with, um, it's actually my cousin's husband's father. Um, they were out hunting, doing like a deer drive through a, a meadow or something, and uh, I think that, you know, there was like a bullet ricochet off a rock, and... Uh, he was he was killed and you know that's wow. just totally totally you know heartbreaking and and you know like that's one of those things that like no legislation you can pass will change and whatever so so that's to say like we're you know I think certainly people in my family know um, that you can't solve every heartbreaking gun death um, with legislation, you know, sometimes just terrible things happen, uh, and that's not to minimize it, but, um, you you know, just, just to say that, like, um, that's an argument in both ways, right? So, like, you could say the same sentence about it, you know, not every vehicle death is going to be prevented by seatbelt legislation, right? But we should certainly have But that doesn't mean that we don't wear a seatbelt, right? So we're not going to be, just because you can't, and and that really gets to the whole point, thank you for helping me get there, is like, just because you can't stop everything doesn't mean that you don't do anything. So often we live in this world of, of, 
yes or no, black or white, gay or straight, um, or what you know, whatever binary system, male or female, whatever. And sometimes we just have to get to this point that like more than more than one thing can be true, um, you know, more than one thing can be true at the same time. And yep. I think we have to get ourselves around, wrap ourselves around this mindset. And I think particularly as Democrats and say like, okay, so maybe we're not able to, um, maybe we're not able to limit high capacity magazines, which we need to do. But, you know, clearly there's not the political courage in the Republican Party to do that right now. And I can tell you that nobody who's out there, no hunter or fisher or anyone who's out there uh, shooting deer or ducks or whatever is using a high capacity magazine. So don't tell me that that's about sportsmanship. OK, no. but um you know, we can't we can't do everything. But, you know, maybe we can do in the House, actually, Democrat, the Democratic majority in the House led by Speaker Nancy Pelosi. This Congress, I, I don't know if it was the first, second or third act that they uh, that they passed. But I think it's called the SAFE Act. They passed universal background checks in this Congress uh, in 2012. I think the Senate, when the Democrats controlled the Senate, the democratically controlled Senate with, I think, I don't know, 13, 15 Republican votes managed to pass uh universal background checks and, and and a comprehensive package of gun safety legislation. The Republican House, led by then, I think, Speaker Paul Ryan, wouldn't do anything about it. Or maybe it was John Boehner. I can't remember. But uh, all this to say, like, we may, just because we can't do everything doesn't mean that we do nothing. And I think we've gotten to the point in our society where we just choose, like, on both sides. If we can't have it our way, we're not going to do anything. And you want to know what? We're just screwing ourselves in the long run. I want to just add a little part of a little anecdote about the, uh, the education aspect of this conversation that I think really struck me as being like a, a moment of fear almost. Um, I was at a local retail store not long ago, maybe a year ago, um, and I happened to be in the gun section, um, just kind of looking around at outdoors gear and kind of just was in the area. And I overheard a gentleman uh, who was asking the sales representative about what's the best weapon for home defense that I could buy? And, you know, the salesperson kind of walked him through a couple of shotgun options and just a couple of different, you know, this is kind of what's typical. Mm -hmm. And I proceeded to listen to the salesman need to give the man a complete education about the weapon. Mm -hmm. This is where the, he said, the, 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 the customer said, and this is where I put the bullets into what he was referring to a shotgun, Uh which is just, Wrong language, and also... Shotguns don't use bullets. Yeah. Also, uh, he was asking, this is where I load them? and Was he using th- the muzzle? And this is the sa- this is where the safety is? And this is going to get the job done? Ah. Using that sort of language. And uh, I believe that he went through and the salesman proceeded to, to sell the weapon to the guy. And I just... With sh- no background check, nope. with knowing I was nothing just- about the person, like... Well, first of all, he may have had a background check, I I mean, but because they run that in the store, but I I just, I was shocked at like the level of ignorance that the the customer had. Not necessarily willful ignorance, but just just literally like the lack of knowledge about what he was doing. And also the fear that I heard him describing, you know, he, he was literally saying like, things are changing in this world. You never know when it could happen. And I'm like, yeah, that's just, that's a narrative. I don't completely fault him for having... No, I think, about, I think that that's a rational. It's a natural like, human reaction yes. to uncertainty. Definitely, yes. but like at the point of sale, that's strange, right? That it like got that like that there were there, that apparently there were no there there were no resources or anything or at least not readily available ones for this person who like credible credible or not had a human reaction which was fear of 
something. Something, yeah. Uh, and we don't need to get into what that was right now, but fear something. And the fact that there were no, there were no like off ramps on the road that he mm-hmm. was on the, on that trajectory towards buying a gun to be like, okay, maybe there's an alternative, right? Like that, that, that it's just like, okay, I'm afraid. So I'm going to go buy a gun, even though I don't know anything about it. And or, that's, or that's, maybe I'm not prepared for this yet. And maybe in my fifties as he was, yeah. maybe I should know a little bit more about this big decision that I'm going to bring into my home right. before, before doing so. Right. I'm not even suggesting that he shouldn't have done it, right? but like just his, lack of awareness and 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 the fact that the sales representative was like just kind of following orders and like this is right this is how we get it done it was just like this is one store in one small part of, of minnesota mm-hmm. how many hundreds of them are there in the state right. how many thousands of them are there in the country right and like oh you know that's the context of the problem right <laughs> well I, it's it's part of it. i mean like that's the reality it, is yeah. right like this is it's a real thing, uh, a res- and in some cases, a response to like real things that people are experiencing and feeling. I mean, I was here's a here's a story. I I just gotten home, and this is how I made my network news debut in twenty fifteen. I was I just gotten home from a New York work trip in D.C. and. Uh, my boyfriend at the time was staying over, and we had gone to bed, and we're sleeping, and I hear, uh, I woke up to the sound, I did lock the door, by the way, I woke up to the sound of a knife being pulled out of a butcher block. Oh my, in my Yeah, this is full real, like, NBC News did a story on it, because um, my friend Matt's the news director. Um, but I woke up to the sound of a knife being pulled out of the butcher block, and I like, wake up and see like I look out my bedroom door and see like there's a person in my kitchen um and I I don't I don't think that I made the right decision um luckily it turned out okay but I went to the door the bedroom door kind of like shut it and yelled like I know you're out there uh whatever you want just please take it and then I see another person so there were two people in my apartment uh they were they they were (laughs) Two people in my apartment, one then like ran by carrying my TV and I was just like, take whatever you want. The other person went out carrying um, the, the my, like a desktop, like an iMac computer that was in my kitchen. Um, and I was just like, take whatever you want, just please leave. Uh, they like scurry out. I relock the door, which they had like jimmied up, like dead, the deadbolt, which they like had managed to open. Um, uh, I think I don't even fully remember correctly, but I think my my boyfriend at the time um, he called the police, and I'm just like having a full like talk about it, talk about a public breakdown. There was one, um, lo- oh, but here the the plot thickens. So he calls the police; they're on their way, and um, then I hear a knock on my door, and it is the burglars who have then returned to my home. What? To, yeah, 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 yeah. I shit you not. The burglars returned to my home. And so I like go to the door and I'm like, what do you want? I thought I was like worried that they had a gun and they were just going to like blow through the door or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, we left our backpack in your, um, in your kitchen. Can you throw it out to us? And I was just like, you have got to be fucking kidding me. Like you have burgled me and now you are coming back asking for your belongings. Like in retrospect, maybe I should have just asked for my belongings back and we could have just done like a little... <laughs> swap shop situation but i don't know that's not how it went Shout down to so i was a swap shop by um 
<laughs> yeah, that's an AM radio show that my grandma used to make me listen to all the time. I'm pretty sure it's still on. Um, but so the the um, I'm like fine, uh, and then they're like, oh, and we left our drink. So they had brought drank to my to their burglar to the scene of the crime, and I was just like. I'm going to give you the backpack back, but I'm keeping your drink in my head because I was like, that could provide Why some DNA evidence. Did you give but, them their backpack? Well, I, I don't know because you let me know what happens when you get burgled well, and what you deal with, you know. Yep. But so in any case, uh, I was like, I'm going to give you your backpack back, but you have to go to the end of the hallway. I'm going to open the door, throw your bag out and then shut the door again. And they're like, so I'm negotiating with like my burglars. Wow. At which point I'm like, the cops are on the way, thank God. But um so they, this all happens. They leave. Um, luckily, I lived the I lived across the street from a giant supermarket, and there happened to be an on undercover, no, off-duty cop uh, standing outside the giant and saw two people at like three a.m. carrying a computer and a TV out, and he was like, "Something about this doesn't feel right." So he called it in. The police came, ended up arresting. One of the people, like, on the block as they were exiting, the other person, um, you know, they arrested, too, and, and they both got jail time. It turns out that they both lived in the building, too, which is even more ridiculous. But all this to say, um, I, I'm not sure that I would uh, recommend my methodology, but there are other ways to deal with um, home invasion than a gun. <laughs> So, Michael, what are your plans for Pride this year? Uh, I don't know. Falling in love and getting a puppy. I don't know. Um, Pride's always this really weird time for me, personally. Um, you know, I, uh, you know I, I came out when I was uh, 18, 17, 18. Uh, and it was, frankly, like, my coming out experience, I wish, was sort of everybody's coming out experience. Frankly, everyone's... Everyone's response to me being like, hey, I'm gay, was uh, obviously, like, I, I liked Barbies and, um, you know, I, I, I would always want to, like, uh, at family events, like, some, if, if, like, the men were in one room and the women were in the other room, like, I'd always be hanging out with my, like, girl cousins and my aunts. And mm -hmm. so, like, I think just, you know, I was not that... This, these things are like, but you know, like some sometimes there are, there's a little bit of truth to stereotypes, and I think that I fit a number of them. Um, so probably this really weird time, and I, I mean, tonight I'm hanging out with some friends. Tomorrow I'm hanging out with friends and going to the parade and whatever. So, but um, you know, it'll it'll be fine. But it's really weird because while I'm I'm I want to celebrate Pride, and the past couple years I've been really kind of had a bad attitude about Pride. Um, I sort of became really negative and was a person who was like well like I don't need pride anymore like it functions for some people but I just don't need it and that's just so cynical like how how lucky am I to be able to be like oh I don't need that anymore and one thing that I'm trying to remember this year and, and hoping to sort of use this mindset to be more engaged is that every pride is someone's first pride and uh, I do remember my first pride in Chicago and being like oh my gosh this is so great to feel like there's an actual community out there, like there is a group of people who are like me, who sort of maybe have had some similar experiences as me, and to just really feel like I'm not alone, be it with like uh, other LGBTQ plus people or uh, or just a lot of allies. And you know, know that like in this sort of 
thing called life that I'm not alone. And so it is important. And I've seen a couple times um, from some of my friends in DC, DC Pride was, was I think two weeks ago. Uh, and there, people kept sharing this story of like, the reason Pride is important is because like the after the parade, you watch if you ride the train and you just watch sort of as like the smiles and the joy that people feel uh, while they're at the parade and while they're surrounded by, by the by you know while they have the sense of community that the further they get away from that and the closer they get to their train stops those smiles sort of start disappearing and that really sort of helped put me in the right mindset of like wow you know people you can sort of it's easy to retreat into this sort of uh safe space that is pride and then um you know when people realizing that a lot of people go back to their real lives and and that's not the case so pride is important this year i'm going to really try to be more more engaged in it and, and have a better attitude and you know hopefully that'll be helpful for me too but pride is also really weird because uh it's uh my dad passed away it'll be five years ago uh this weekend and i so i just always have that in the back of my mind uh, i really miss him and sort of just remembering sort of the roller coaster ride that is life um, you know, I was 25 years old at the time, and I was the finance director on a governor's race, and our primary was on June 24th, and uh, it was a competitive primary, and you know, we, you know, like frankly, I was too young for this job, and I kind of wound up in it by a weird confluence of events, um, but ended up being successful in that particular job, and. The candidate won, and so we're, we were at the victory party, and my dad had been sick, but I didn't really fully get the magnitude of the situation. Um, and so it's primary night, we win, like it's just, you know, think of the, the, the pinnacle of my professional career up to that point, um, and just so happy. And then that morning, the next morning, uh, I got on like a 6 a.m. flight back to Minnesota, rented a car, drove an hour to the hospital. Um, and I remember I brought the the Washington Post that had the front page of the news story was the candidate winning, uh, Anthony Brown, now Congressman Anthony Brown winning the primary and becoming the Democratic nominee for Congress or for governor. And I was so excited and I brought that into the hospital room and my dad was on a ventilator and I read him the news article um, and talking about pride, like I just, you know, I, I wanted my dad to sort of uh, whether he could acknowledge that he heard it, I knew that he sort of heard it and he was always incredibly proud of me. And so, you know, just talking about the roller coaster ride that is life, you know, that I read him that news story and then I'm an only child. So then, uh, you know, two, three hours later, I had to make the decision to take him off a ventilator and he passed away. Um, so, um, you know, pride is just a really hard time. And actually, as we were coming over here, or I was. <laughs> I was getting ready to come into the uh, to stu the studio to record this. I was thinking about whether this was a story that I wanted to tell, um, because it, it, it just you know it's a hard story to tell, right? And then I I sort of went to my I had a complicated relationship with my dad as do I think most people with their parents, and sometimes it's easy to when they do pass away uh, to to sort of write revisionist history. And I'm sort of getting to that point now um, where I'm able to sort of see the good and the bad. And the one thing that I will really remember is how proud my dad always was of me. And, you know, I, I would say that 
one of the things that I've I've really missed is is that sort of pride that he had in me because sometimes you know as we all feel in life it's hard to uh, sometimes it's hard to feel proud in yourself sometimes we make mistakes sometimes we um, do things we wish we could take back and I certainly have um, and so I, I really sort of today and every day feel that void of my dad not being here to just sort of always sort of be my hype man and be proud of me um, and then you know I was like tearing up on the way here and whatever and then I I randomly went to my dad's Facebook and looked like clicked view friendship and the last thing that he posted on my Facebook wall uh, nine days before he died was this dumb video of a fairy and it says um, hello I'm the happiness fairy I've sprinkled happy dust on you. Now smile, damn it. That's it. Now smile, damn it. That's it. Oh my God, I can't fucking talk. It's all right. We'll get it. Uh, the last thing that he posted on my Facebook wall uh, nine days before he passed away was this dumb picture of a fairy that says, Hello, I'm the happiness fairy. I've sprinkled happy dust on you. Now smile, damn it. That's it. It's expensive. Um, so all this to say... Um, Pride can mean more than one thing. Pride to me can mean being proud of who we are, proud, uh, proud of the good things, proud of the things that we need to work on. Um, I have a lot of them. I'm sure you do too. Uh, I know I'm not the only person to ever lose a parent. I know that there are a lot of you out there who have suffered loss in your life. Um, and I hope that you feel like you've got someone looking at you sprinkling happy dust all over your asses too. Guys, thanks a lot for hanging out with us for episode two. If you don't already, please give us a follow on Instagram at VeryPublicBreakdown and on Twitter at VPubBreakdown. Join us in the conversation and let us know what you want us to break down in the coming episodes.